Guys, we have a special we have a special guest with us today. Uh, uh, Argenis and, and Andrea, right? Andrea and Argenis. They are here. They're they're from North Jersey originally, right? That's their that's their that they, they claim North Jersey in the house. But they are missionaries to Mozambique. And I'm going to ask that they uh, make their way up here and they're going to they're going to just speak to us and uh, Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Wow. You guys are amazing. I just want to put you all in my pocket and uh, <laughs> take you guys to Mozambique. Just the energy coming in here. And Pastor, you had me at Sancocho, so. Uh, <laughs> but our names are Arhenis and Andrea Matos, and we have the greatest honor of serving in Mozambique, Africa. Uh, we've been there for two years, and we came back. We're itinerating, and God willing, we'll be back out there for three years. And if anyone knows where Mozambique is at, wave at me. Okay, no one. All right, so think of all of Africa, right? We are on the right side of Africa, all the way at the bottom, next to South Africa, and right next to Madagascar, where those crazy penguins are that saying, hey, yes, that's where we are. And uh, the two years that we were there, we had the greatest honor of working with Chi Alpha Ministry. We were in over 35 college campuses, just speaking Jesus into their lives. And now we have the greatest privilege to go back and work in a uh, a ministry called Go Media, and we'll be partnering with churches, international churches, local churches, and we're going to be just enhancing them, working with the younger generation, equipping them, launching them back to their churches, and have their churches continue to work, function, and grow, and spread the word of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we have a video that we would love to share with you that just kind of gives you a glimpse of what our two years look like in Mozambique, Africa. Hello, our names are Hennis and Andrea Matos. We are missionaries to Mozambique, Africa. Mozambique is located on the southeast coast of Africa. The Portuguese-speaking country is rich in culture and beauty. The capital, Maputo, is the largest city in Mozambique. Many people from different parts of the world come to visit its beautiful beaches that wrap alongside the Indian Ocean. However, despite all the tourist attractions, Mozambique is one of the most undeveloped countries in Africa. Here's a highlight of what we've seen God do in Mozambique. We partnered with Kayafa Ministries called Apalavra. We we're able to speak about Jesus openly in over 35 college campuses located in Maputo. Every day we are able to hold a discussion, a discipleship group on campus and read the word of God together. We believe the future of Africa is in its universities. We have the opportunity to speak into the lives of future doctors, lawyers, accountants, electricians, and equip them with the Word of God as they go into their careers. Through Apple Ministry, we've also been able to host teams from different parts of the U.S., visit the bush, which is the rural area outside the capital, help our colleagues build tabernacles, and make discipleship videos during the pandemic. We've built relationships in our community by hanging out with friends, asking questions about Mozambican culture while eating dinner, and inviting new people to become a part of our lives. This always brings up the question, why did you travel from the U.S.? And we respond, we are missionaries. Establishing community means we can show and be the testimony of what God has called us to be. None of this would be possible if it weren't for your support prayerfully and financially. From the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you for partnering with us. 
You've enabled us to take this journey and help us answer God's call. As the locals say to one another, Muito obrigado. Estamos juntos. That means thank you so much. We're in this together. Amen, amen. Wow. Amen. Praise God. Well, uh, Lighthouse Church, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Vince. Man, it was just so uh, amazing how we got connected. So just to let you guys know, it was through through Facebook. Uh, you know, we have no connections uh, whatsoever, uh, you know, through Philadelphia because we're from New Jersey. And there's a bit of rivalry, right? New York Giants and Eagles. But today we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Yeah. And plus, you guys beat us pretty bad last week. So I will for, we'll forgive you guys for that. Um, Another, my, my wife, uh, Andrea Mato, she's praying and fasting because she is from Argentina and her team is playing in the World Cup. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really hoping that we're bringing it home, but we're so thankful for this opportunity that we get to share over here. Lighthouse Church, when we came in, it reminded us, I mean, we grew up in urban ministry. We came up from Newark, uh, uh, New Jersey. We've been uh, uh, administrative pastors. Young, uh, young adults, pastors, youth pastors, everything. We did ushers. We did everything. We've committed our lives into ministry. But the reason why I say that is one of our favorite parts of ministry, because there's di different parts of uh, ministry. If you go far out uh, from Philadelphia, you have your rural areas. You have your Lancaster, Amish, and you have uh, East Stroudsburg. You have different type of demographics. But Philadelphia is very unique. Why? Because you have all these people that come together people from different nations, tribes, and uh, tongues. And it's kind of like a reflection on what we're going to see, you know, when we infer the glory of God, where uh, a book of Revelation says that people from different nations, tribes, and tongues, they were proclaiming what? That Jesus is king, that the Lord is the, uh, Lord, is the Lord. So this is just that uh, small picture of what heaven looks like. And it's just the, it's just the awesome uh, beauty um, to be with you guys. As soon as we came through the doors, we felt like family, and we just wanted to say uh, thank you so much. We're, we're, we're so glad and honored to worship with you guys side by side. Amen? So, uh, so as you could see, oh man, you guys, are, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> this is, this is going to be a, a very good day, so relax. Uh, the, the message that I have prepared, the title of this is called Life Has Prepared Me for This. And basically, it's a, it's a mission, missional-focused message. It kind of raises the question on why we support missionaries. Why do we send out? And the reason why we send out, and it's kind of like a hard question because the Christian culture is so impacted where we say, you know, we've got to bless our mis uh, missionaries. We have to bless our pastor. And sometimes it's so ingrained in us that we, we forget why we're doing it. And then, so I had to think, man, uh, uh, why did I go to Africa? Why am I over here? And then I had to kind of deep research inside. I have to kind of meditate inside. And I realized that the reason why we go out to places to the ends of the earth is because we love Jesus. We love what he's done for us. We carry that message. We carry that gospel. And we love it so much that God loved the world so much that he, uh, that he gave his only son we love, we are, if we love God, we are to love our neighbors. So the a real uh, reason that we come here in church is, yes, we come here to be fed. Yes, we come here to worship. Yes, we come here to surrender it all onto God. But we must remember that God loved us first. And it's love that is the fuel, it's the catalyst to make everything 
possible. So that's the reason why we go to Africa. It's not for building water wells. It's not for feeding. It's not for, or because Jesus said that there will always be people who are impoverished that will, that will, be, uh, that will be poor. That they'll always happen. Why? Because the world is corrupt, but we have the antidote. We have the breakthrough. We have the cheat code. And, and, you know, we have everything going on over here. And people might be asking the question, where, why are you so joyful? You're, you're about to be evicted from your house. You, you barely have food in your refrigerator. We're struggling with everything that we're going through with inflation prices. Well, gas prices are finally going back down. But people say, why are you happy? And you have that reason. And you say, I have Jesus. And that testimony alone is powerful. Amen. So... During, during our time in Mozambique, I found that there's three powerful principles on how life, how God is preparing me through life to be prepared from taking me from one level into the next level, taking us from one uh, aspect of ministry into further growth, into being a, a, a someone that said yes to Jesus Christ, into having something not just ordinary but extraordinary through the uh, anointings. And the three powerful uh, ways that I see it is the Lord uses us by our conflict. He uses us by trials. And then finally, he uses us by pruning us. You see, uh, pruning is not my, my, my favorite thing because I'm like, Lord, uh, yes, I'm, I'm called to do what you, what you got to do. But the Lord says, you know what? In order for me to keep you and sustain you for a long time, I got to do, th- uh, do some things through you. I have to do things through your heart. And he's doing it uh, th- uh, through your guys' lives as well. But uh, I want to take you through Scripture, Book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 11. And life, the message life has preparing for me, it kind of derived from this uh, chapter, from this book over here. And to read the chapter, chapter uh, book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. We have three figures that we have over here, right? We have Rachel, we have Ruth, Rachel, Leah. Rachel and Leah, they're married to a man named uh, Jacob, one of the four uh, fathers of Israel. Through these three figures, uh, figures J- uh, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, we come up with pretty much the 12 tribes of Israel. But we have one interesting character as well, Ruth. Generations later, after Rachel and Leah uh, died, and uh, since Israel found their inheritance, they build up and, and, and inherit this land, and they populate into becoming these people, this nation, this tribe called Israel. We have this town that goes to Ruth. Ruth is not an Israelite descendant. She is actually a foreigner, and she married a Hebrew man, and that Hebrew man has passed away. And and Ruth, basically, she is without children. She is a widow. And at that time, and probably in uh, many countries, Without a man, without a husband, you are left with not a lot of rights. You cannot purchase property. There's, uh, you cannot represent yourself in court. You are kind of treated like a second-class uh, citizen. So Ruth, she uh, uh, married this Hebrew man. He passed away and says, you know what? I want to follow my mother-in-law that's going back to Israel. Ruth says, I'm going to a place that I have not known or she has no idea about. And she leaves her hometown where she could marry uh 
somebody else. She, so she goes to this place and she meets this, uh, this man named Boaz. And she married this man named Boaz, not for the physical appearance, but through the instruction of her mother-in-law. And what we see through this uh, person, uh, Ruth, what happened is they unite, they get to know each other, and they marry each other. And this man uh, named Boaz, uh, even though he was older in age, he had a power, he had status, he had, pro- he had property, but not only that, he was a wise man and he feared the Lord. So it's amazing how this woman, Ruth, who was young in the age, instead of, of, of chasing after the young football players, instead of chasing after the young rappers, you know what I'm saying? She said, no, I'm going to look after the lineage. I'm going to look after, I'm going to look forward to the future, and I'm going to make a deposit into my future because it's going to pay off later. So Ruth, uh, Ruth, when she finally married uh, uh, this man named Boaz, the whole community, it's like this whole neighborhood came to the household and they wished this one interesting thing. They say, may your home be like Rachel and Leah. Now we get these two characters, Rachel and Leah. When we go back into the book of Genesis, I think like when I read about what happened to these two ladies, I'm like, this is something you cannot make up. This is like something you'd see in a, if you're Hispanic, a telenovela, or you, if, if you like watching dramatic movies or keeping up with the Kardashians. I don't know. I don't watch any of that stuff. But it's almost like something like scandalous and dramatic. Why? Because already you see that two women marry one man. And when you look further into it, you know that uh, in the scripture it says Rachel was beauty beautiful in her appearance. The, the Bible talks, they say he's, it was a woman of lovely figure. And, and when you look at what, how the Bible describes Leah, it says, and Leah was weak in her eyes. <laughs> and once again, ter- throwing in some Spanish uh, analog- uh, analogy to it, Spanish people call Leah, Leah la fea. And uh, that, which means Leah, the ugly one. And uh, so when you, when you look d- uh, deeper into it, I said, Lord, Whoever wrote about these two ladies, they kind of did Leah wrong and they did uh, Rachel really right. Because, and I look to myself and I say to myself, if someone were to write a book about me, Arhenis Matos, I want them to talk about how tall he is, uh, how muscular he is, how good, handsome and good looking. I don't want anyone to talk. And this is Arhenis. He had a big head. And this is Arhenis. Uh, he was uh, weak. I'm, you know, if, if someone were to make a Hollywood movie, I would say if there's an actor to represent me, I'd be like, there's only two people I'm thinking of. It's either George Clooney or Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington or, 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 or something like that. You know, try to exaggerate uh, in this story a little bit, but don't treat me like how they did Leah. Um, a little bit further deeper into Rachel and Leah, you realize that um, Jacob fell in love with this beautiful woman, Rachel, and he wanted to marry, uh, marry her, he asked her father if he can receive her hand to marry her. He worked seven years as a shepherd. He worked seven years in, in, in the field to earn the respect, earn the right to marry her. And what happened during the wedding day, he wakes up after the honeymoon and he sees by his bedside, not the Rachel, the beautiful one, he actually sees Leah. 
And he felt like he's tricked. And, the one, and, and then once again, I raise that question. I feel bad for Leah. And I'm like, how many guys over here feel like they want to be arranged in marriage? How many in here feel like they want to be tricked into, hey, guys, I, hey, I found you this guy that's, that's madly in love with you. And then you realize that he, he really wanted to marry the sister. And then seven years after that, we see that uh, uh, Jacob finally earned the right to marry the beautiful woman his eyes had set for. And the reason why I give you the background of this story is, one, I just love, I just like to kind of like immerse myself into what's going on rather than just reading the scripture. And then finally, what I get to is Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. We see this one thing, this sticking situation, this one thing that I feel like inside of my heart that's kind of churning up. I kind of feel bad for Leah. Why? Because a lot of times the people that I see in Mozambique, it pointed me back to the story of Leah. And then what we see over here is kind of like a retribution for Leah. We kind of see like a comeback story for, uh, in Leah's behalf. And in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, there's something so monumental that the Lord was stirring something inside of me where it's something that's replicating each and every day. And it goes as this, that the Lord saw that Leah was not loved and he enabled her to conceive. So there's two very interesting things that I get with this passage over here. One is, even though we may feel like a Leah, even though we might be, be promised a, a vision or a fruit, maybe we've been promised a child, maybe we've been, we've been told from the Lord that the church was going to expand, maybe the Lord has told us that there will be an explosion within this community, maybe the Lord has told you that through your family that everyone's going to come to serve Jesus Christ, but you realize that you're coming to church alone, you feel like as though as that you've been working at this job position all your life, and you feel like you have not give, been given the promotion you deserve, even though you've dedicated your life to the Lord, and you've been working with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you feel as though as the world is not noticing you. But what I love here about Genesis 29 verse 31 was that this insignificant person that everybody was counting out where the writers only looked at their outward appearance, when the whole world was laughing at her and no one even cared about, where in so many situations, there's so many people here that feel like the camera is not on them, that the spotlight is not on them, and we ultimately feel as though, as that the Lord has forgotten about us. But over here in Genesis 29, verse 31, we see that it's totally the opposite. You see why? Because the Lord does not look at the outward appearance, the Lord sees what's in our hearts. The second part that I want to talk about over here in this scripture is something that we always kind of forget about. It's probably because since I moved to Mozambique, I was an American for so long that I totally forgot about this. But the second part is he enabled her to conceive. So many times we take advantage of something that's happening in this earth, something that's so fundamental, like the air in this room, the, the fact that we're able to respirate, the fact that we're able to multiply, the fact that we're able to ha bear or take a seed and it's uh, to able to grow into a family. The second part that I want to rem remind everything, uh, everyone inside this church is that 
the Lord looks at our hearts, but he's also the one that controls everything as fundamental as, the, as something that's going inside your biological body, inside of your stomach. That is the Lord's creation. That is the Lord's doing. In life, we have Rachel's and Leah's. Rachel's are the beautiful ones. We always feel like the, it's, it's the popular people. We feel like the characteristics of somebody. We feel like we're not tall enough. We're not strong enough. We're not capable enough. We always feel like, you know, even looking at the commercials, at the billboards, we have a certain image of somebody, and we don't even love the person we look at in the mirror. Life might treat you like Aaliyah. Life might treat you like you're unfair. Oh, by the way, I love Pastor Vince just recognize these two ladies for, for their heart. The appreciation, it goes a whole long way. There's so much things that we're going through, and I love this church. It's because we appreciate everyone. Everyone here that came and decided to come today is a gift from God. But you may, people out there, they feel like they're conquered. They feel disappointed. So many people feel like if nobody in this world cares about me, why would even God care about me? But we have that answer. We have that solution. We have that remedy. Just the simple fact that you go to your neighbor across the street and you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Or, hey, Jesus uh, loves you. Hey, I, I realize when we go to the gas station, everyone's giving attitudes. People in traffic, people are cutting around. I mean, just coming through here to Philadelphia, someone, I'm going 80 miles per hour. Someone's just flashing their light behind me. And, and I'm just like, man, what's going on? This is a Sunday. You know, we're supposed to take it, take it easy over here. And I realize there's a lot of hustle and bustle living in an urban area, but never ever Never forget that you are an ambassador, you're a representative of Christ. Your kindness today, your, just that, that, that prophetic message that you have to someone today to say like, hey, I've been praying for you, and Jesus says he loves you, that Jesus died for you, and he has a purpose for you. So much, oh, we could conquer so much just in this area alone. In life, we have Rachel's and Leah's. But the one principle that I want to tell you guys is that it was through their conflict. It was through their preparation. Rachel and Leah, they're, they're fighting against each other. Rachel was, was kind of like in a competition with Leah. Leah said, well, at least I have more children. And Rachel said, well, at least my husband loves me. And then they're, they're trying to fight over the husband that they have in their high school. There's bitterness and their dispute. These two ladies, they, these two sisters, they were, they were pivoted against each other. And what we see as, in life is that we see conflict, that the neighbors, uh, Bochincha and the guy, gossip and this is happening at the gas station there's a there's an attitude you feel you just got laid off laid off of your job uh, all these things someone broke into your car uh, someone uh, uh, broke a mirror because they were going fast a drunk driver hit my car there's so many conflict that's happening and you say lord i don't see your goodness because all i keep on seeing is everything inside this environment inside of this community and what the lord wants to remind you guys today is don't look at the storm look what's above those clouds I am still the Lord of Lords. I'm still reigning in the kingdom. <clears throat> but ultimately, we see this through that conflict, 
through Rachel and Leah, through their conflict, we see something. We see a fruit. We see a seed. And they may have not seen the fruit at that very moment. But generations later, you have Israel. You have these people that come to this foreign lady. And they say, may your household be, be like Rachel and Leah. What people think that might have been a curse. What people thought what might have been a drama. What people thought that, look at this conflict. What good came out of it. We have the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel, through the 12 tribes of Israel, we have the lineage through David that we finally get Jesus Christ through that conflict from the beginning of time. We get to come into the church today and we get to see the eternal kingdom. We get to praise the Lord of Lords. What I'm telling you guys today, that through your conflict, that you will see fruit. And it may not be today. It may not be today. But I guarantee you, if you hold on just a little bit longer, you just hold on to the Lord. You just say, Lord, you're a miracle maker. I know you're going to deliver me. Lord, I know you're going to take me through it. My, Lord, I know you're gonna, uh, we're going to live a life of victory, my Lord. Father, why? Because the Lord wants to share in his splendor, and he does it through the glory of your lives. You have enemies who are throwing darts at you. You have enemies who are spewing lies against you. And then when the Lord bless, bless you, the Lord said, look what I did through my servant. He could do it through you. He did it through Rachel. He did it with Leah. He's continuing to do it till this day. And I saw that. And I saw that through the lives of these ladies in Mozambique. There's a picture behind me. It's a house. It's a place called Makapulani. It's a hut. And in this place, we went out to this rural area that they called the bush. Now, there was no electricity. There's no running water. But it was probably like the best time of my life. I was sleeping in a sleeping bag. I was sleeping in a tent. My, my wife was angry at me because I'm playing with the scorpions with the stick. You know, you're like, Dre, you're like, there's no hospital around here. There's no anti-venom around here. And I'm like, what? This is the best, this is the best time ever. There's just dirt. You know, there's just dirt out there and, and the straw place. But what, what, I, what I've realized is that there's thousands, millions of people who are living in this condition. And they, and they kind of like, um, they invited a church from the capital city where we live, and, they, and this church that we came from New Jersey came to Mozambique, and we did a, an evangelism in that town called Makapulani. So we came in like two, three cars, big cars. There's about like 20 people in our group. And when we come park in front of the houses, everyone in the community was lined up, and they're clapping, and they're singing, and they've received us. They're so beautiful people. Oh, man, it was amazing. They had beautiful colors. The men, they wear, wear suits. They want to wear their very best to receive their Amer American guests to come and eat. They prepared a meal. They prepared rice, beans, vegetables, uh, chicken. And we know how much that means to us because, you know, sometimes in a Mozambique household, you might have meat maybe once or twice a week. Uh, all the rest of the time, you're just eating vegetables. You're eating, you're eating potatoes. And, and they, but they treated us with the highest honor because these, they said, look who has come because they don't get much uh, visitors. So we're sleeping out, and the very next day we go, get to go evangelize. And I go house to house to house to house, and we're praying and we're asking, hey, what is God speaking to you? Uh, how could we pray over you? Can we read a scripture with you? Each household was about 10, 15 minutes. 
Let me, let me take it a little bit further. Not one single household said, no, I don't want anything to do with religion. I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. Can you just imagine if you go to your neighbor in New Jersey or, or, or in Pennsylvania, when you go outside, like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ? You might get a lot of shut doors. You might be treated like Jehovah's Witness. You might be treated like oh, not this religious, not this religious uh, fanatic, right? But Jesus talks about fertile soil. Jesus talks about fertile soil, meaning that when you throw a seed into a soil, you really don't have to do much work into cultivating that. And then that seed will turn turn into a tree, and that tree will uh, give fruit. And and New Jersey, it might be more difficult to produce uh, fruit, but it's still producing fruit. In Mozambique, it's 100% fold. And it gave me the realization that that's the reason why we send out missionaries to the very ends of the world. That's why maybe a short-term mission trip, maybe a long-term mission trip, or maybe someone wants to invest in in a a uh, missionary. But there's something going on in this world where there's just an explosion because the soil is fertile. But I go house to house, and I found, I found a common denominator. I saw something very, very weird, and that's where the story of Leah kind of resonated in my, uh, in my heart. What I've noticed was every single household, there was an older lady. She'd bring out a chair. She'd bring out tea, biscuits, and we talk. Next household, the same thing, the next same thing, same thing. And I asked to myself, where are all the men? Where are all the children? And then every single prayer petition was this, was that it was two prayer petitions. There was really none that were different. It was pray that I have a new husband because my husband passed away. The average age expectancy in Mozambique is up to 55 years old. 75% of the population of Mozambique is 30 years or younger. So you go outside and you walk in your neighborhood, you, you'll notice that there's not many older, uh, an older or a seniority population, but you'll see a lot of young people in the streets or or working or doing whatever, if, you're, if you make it to the age of 80, you're considered very blessed. And if you have a lot of children, that means that your lineage, that, that your, your uh, probability of surviving is going to be very, very strong. The second prayer petition was, pray that I have a new husband because my husband ran away. He has multiple wives. He has different concubines. You know, normally in a lot of African countries, you have a man with different households, and each family will take care of all those different uh, households. And it struck me. Something inside struck me where I felt something for these ladies. Why? Because they're praying to God, and no one else notices their heart. They're praying to God, and no one else notices that they're in misery. Nobody even wants to take a second look at them. And that's why the story of Leah came down into my heart, and I read this uh, scripture. And then, in fact, at that very moment, when they asked for prayer, it was at that moment where the Lord delivered a message and said, tell these ladies who have lost everything, who has no one there with them, tell them that even though man may disappoint you, that man may fail you, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And then I saw the most beautiful picture in this whole world, the reason why the Lord has his church. The church is a beautiful institution. The church is a a beautiful construction. It's a gift that the Lord has given the planet Earth. Why? 
Because that very next day, these ladies that we minister to, that very next day we had our Sunday services, I'm praying, and, uh, and I'm, it's at that moment where I feel as though I feel the guilt of the world, I feel everybody's pain, I feel everybody's prayer petition, I'm, I'm reading the story of Rachel and Leah where she feels like she's abandoned, and then I look up and I see something that, that the Lord has painted right in front of me. Right in front of me, there was about maybe 20 or 30 ladies that we preached to at, or we ministered to at every single household. They're holding hand to hand, and they're worshiping the Lord in that Sunday services. And then the Lord uh, quickly responded to me, and he said, Arhanas, even though man may fail them, even though their husband may have betrayed him and ran away, these ladies, they're giving a new DNA. These ladies, even though blood and, or water may have disappointed them or have betrayed them, I have given them a new uh, DNA. That new DNA is the blood of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm talking to you here, guys, today? You guys are not all from the same very family. You might have a lot of relatives that are over here. And in many churches, what we see is the same thing, is that we have broken people from different parts of life, but when you put it together, it's like a stained glass, and what we see is a mosaic picture, like a stained glass picture that you see in the wall, whereas that we, even though society has broken, even though what the devil meant for bad, the Lord used it for good, even though that even our very own flesh and blood may have betrayed us, we are now bonded by a new DNA. And it's not just any new blood transfusion. You are now connected by the blood of the land. You are now connected from Jesus because he shedded it on Calvary. But let me go on uh, further. You are not just part of a family. You are part of a royal family. So what does that make us? That makes us ambassadors. And what I want to talk to you guys about today is that life has prepared you. He's given you conflicts. He's given you problems with your family. You may feel like you're, you're abandoned, but you're now part of a, a, a new family. You might fight. You might talk about whose son culture is better. There might, be, there, might be, there might be competition. You know, there's going to be problems with family, but we don't give up on, on, on family. We go through a conflict, and now what we realize is that life is preparing us through trials. And one example of a trial comes from uh, the book of Daniel, and we uh, have this, ooh, sorry, something's happened. So we have this example, right, from the book of Daniel. You have this king named Nebuchadnezzar, and you have these three men called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men are, are tossed, are publicly executed. They're, the way of execution was being thrown into a fiery furnace. Why? Because they did not bow down to a golden statue. The golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar was basically like a policy. This is the law. You have to follow it. If you do not follow the law, you will die. Someone said, hey, uh, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, uh, these three Jewish men, these three Hebrew boys, um, didn't you write this letter? Didn't, didn't you write this, this order for all of uh, Israel to, to follow? He said, yes, I did. And these, he said, well, these three guys, these three Hebrew guys, these guys who prophesy, these guys who are so-called men of God, they don't even obey. They don't even respect you, King Nebuchadnezzar. And the thing about King Nebuchadnezzar is that he's the, he's the ruler, he's the emperor of one of the strongest civilization, Babylon, to ever exist in this whole world, coming from the, from the country called Assyria, 
the country that exists today is called Syria. So rooted back was from a country called Assyria, and they had this huge nations, and it's not the first time they killed Israelite prophets. It's not his first time. In fact, he has it. He has a, a, a wonderful skill, and what he uh, what he what he manufactured for them was to throw them in, into a, a blazing for, uh, fiery furnace. Why? Because the king cannot go back in his word. He he needs to be respected because it'll show that he is a weak king. So he threw, threw these uh, uh, three men, and I say to myself, "Well, life is preparing me." Like this trial, I'm not saying that we're going to be thrown into a blazing fiery furnace, but sometimes we could be so emotional where we could feel like we're going through a trial period. We may feel like that we're going through a fiery furnace, but just because you're going through a fiery furnace doesn't mean that the Lord has abandoned you. You see, because when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when you said yes into following Jesus Christ, what I thought initially was things will be better. And I realized saying yes to Jesus Christ was a lot harder than when I was not and when I was disobeying, when I did not receive the call of following Jesus Christ. I, I was such a baby Christian when I was in Mozambique that I thought that going to Mozambique, that there will be deliverance of thousands that there will be people lined up and we'll be praying over them, that ministry will be booming as soon as we got over there. And what I realized was, was that it was the opposite of that. I thought saying yes to Christianity, I thought I said yes, saying yes to Jesus Christ will be like walking through a tulip field. No problems, no arrows, no darts, no gossip, no problems whatsoever, no need to fast Why Jesus is, is sitting on the throne. Don't have to worry about spiritual warfare. I thought Jesus had it all. I thought he had my back that no weapon against me shall prosper. But boy, was I wrong. But just because you're going through the trial, just because you're going through the defensive stages, just because the enemy is attacking against you, it means that there's something valuable inside of you. It means that, you know, when they have a bank and they have the guards, they're guarding something because there's something uh, very valuable that they're protecting. There's something very, very valuable that's inside of you that the enemy wants, and that's why he's going against, uh, against you. But you may feel like, Lord, why are you putting me through this, Lord? I should be going through. And, and, and I always remember what my pastor used to say to me. He said that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Amen. A faith that has not been tested. If you feel like you're going through the fire, if you feel like emotionally you cannot stand it, if you feel like that, Lord, I, I am not taken to that next level, I'm not seeing that authority, I feel like uh, I, I'm, I'm low, I feel like I'm a Leah, I feel like I'm defeated, what the Lord is trying to tell you is that a faith that has not been tested, if you want to get to the next level, the test is not to see if, uh, to prove in front of me, the test is to prove in yourself. So I feel like sometimes that the Lord puts me some, through some crazy science experiments. But how do we, how do we go through, through challenge? We see, see, testing and going through trials, when you say, oh, the Lord is good, you can say it inside the church, but when you go to the convenience store, people are going to quickly say, the Lord ain't good. People die, uh, if the Lord's so good, why do people die? 
Why did my aunt die? Why did my mom die? If the Lord is so good, I don't want you bringing that religious, religious talk inside of here, but it has to go vice versa. You see, when the Lord wants to use you for the next level, when the Lord wants to use you for his purpose, when the Lord wants you to become an ambassador on behalf of himself, we have to emulate like these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where we're going through the fire, where even though that there's people who are disapproving, there's people who are laughing, who are mocking at you, you realize that you just do not represent yourself. You're representing the God that represents behind you. You're, if you're an ambassador, if an ambassador goes to a different country, and if that country were to do with that ambassador, it means that they're very big trouble. Why? Because they killed someone that represents a person from a higher country. They represent somebody with somebody with a big military. What I'm trying to tell you guys today, when you represent the Lord, you're God, Yahweh, when you represent Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose up on the third day, when the people are trying to purse against you, it's like they're, they're trying to touch the baby cub. And when you touch the baby cub, you're going to get the mama bear. The Lord is fighting on your behalf. The Lord is going to see you through it. You may feel like you're going through the trial. You may feel like you are defeated, but just praise through it. Just walk through it. Just, just know Oh, I love this response over here. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. And they responded like this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves uh, uh, before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, Oh, man, I love this. This is that do-or-die mentality. If you're from the military, like that D-Day, when they're storming that beach, when they're going to fight the, the Nazis, when they're, the guns are shooting at them and they're going for no, they're, they're saying at that moment, even if I make it or even if I do not, it's like that, it's like that championship game where it's tied 7-7 and you have to go for that Hail Mary pass or maybe you're behind, you have to go for that Hail Mary pass. It's that do-or-die mentality. And for so long, we as Christians, we only want to serve God when things are going good. But it's not whether it's going good, whether it's going bad. We just know who sits on the throne. And these three men have said, we want you to know that even if he does not deliver us, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have served. There's something very amazing about this. The fundamental truth that we have from it, and it's this, they did not look for excuses they didn't say, hey, um, I wear this certain type of clothes. I pin my hair up in a certain type of way. You know, we, we, you know we've, we've come through Rahatabla churches. We come through. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it all. I don't eat pork. I don't do this. I don't do, I don't do that. They, they didn't look for excuses. The difference between a Christian who is walking in power is not looking for the religious card. What they say is this, that I have the authority, that I have someone behind me. I don't do this. I don't have to respond to you. I don't have to respond to anybody. I, you know, I understand we're U.S. citizens. I understand that we're in Mozambique, but we're not part of a place where it's just flesh and blood. We are part of a place. We're in a battle of spirituality and principles. I am not of this earth. I am, uh, I am part of the earth. I am part of the heavenly worlds. I am 
not of this world. When you change your philosophy, when you change your mentality on that, anything that goes against you shall not prosper. Why? Because you say to yourself, whether in the good, whether in the bad, I will praise the Lord. So the challenge is this. What is God calling you guys to do today? Are you going through the fiery furnace? Or is someone going to kill you? Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I'm not going to, is it going to happen to me? Am I putting myself in the same level as these guys? But I can say for, uh, for certain, God, something is challenging, challenging you here today. And it's withholding you back from the promised land. It's withholding you back to your full potential. We have to come back to the days where we say the, the enemy, that he's going to stand behind, under my feet, he will not prosper against me. We need to get out of the days where we're just living, by, you know, just living by the skin of our teeth. We're just living by grace. We're just living by the strokes of things. And we have to step into another level where we're living victoriously and not as victims. Even though something may, bad may happen, we have to change our mentality and realize that even though it may be good or even though it may be bad, we will trust the Lord. He is taking you through your trials. And finally, he is pruning. He's pruning me. In our time in Mozambique, I'm going through spiritual attacks. I'm waking up in the dead middle of night. I thought there would be delivery in Mozambique. It's one year into Mozambique, and I'm seeing no fruit, and I feel like I'm a failure, that I'm a defeated Christian, and I'm every single night living in Mozambique. I'm waking up 12 o'clock in, uh, in the morning, and I feel as though the enemy is pursuing me. I'm waking up dripped in sweat. Every single night, I'm waking up, and then in the next room, I do the baby Christian thing that I always do and I say in Jesus name but before I could utter the words two hands gripped across me there's such a heavy spiritual presence there's witch doctors that walk all across Mozambique in fact there's ones that touch your car and place curses on you we went to this waterfall called Namaasha and there's witchcraft stuff everywhere and we sat on a bench and our friend said do not sit on there because it's an altar where they lay their sacrifices and then when you go to the mountaintops and you see these stones that they lay up and there's bones all around those, all those stones, they said this is where they do their sacrifice on the highest mountains and in the lowest valleys. And every single night that the, that the enemy had his hands on me, that he's trying to sift me, he's trying to get that wheat, he's trying to get that kernel, and I'm asking the Lord why every single night I'm being tormented in Mozambique when I thought I was the good person, I was the good Samaritan, I thought I was the good Christian that went to a country I did not want, I did, I, that was not my idea to go to Africa. Sometimes I look at the GPS and I say, what am I doing? Over here, I, I don't, where's the Atlantic City, or where's the Atlantic Ocean? And then finally, after six months, you see, when you go against conflict, there's two things that you could do. When you're walking down the street and there's a bully, there's two things. There's only two options. It's either you run away or you fight back. So finally, at that moment, I decided, you know what? 
I'm going to put my man, I'm going to put my pants on. I'm going to pray through it. I'm going to worship through it. I did the one thing that as a baby Christian, I remembered what did my Pentecostal, loud Spanish Dominican mom used to do during a spiritual crisis. And the one thing I remembered is when I went to the, to the kitchen and what I did was I grabbed the oil. It was from Goya. I had to get the Goya oil. And then I had to, it had to be pressed from Israel. So I got the oil and I'm anointing the house. I'm putting it everywhere. I'm putting it on the windows. I'm putting it on the doorways. I'm putting it on, on the couches. My wife, she, she, she had enough of me. It was on the floor. She slipped like a few times. It was getting crazy inside of there. But one thing I realized that our one weapon against a spiritual attack, if we feel like in our environment where we say, Lord, where is the revival? Where is the, the expansion of the, of the ministry? Well, it happens with the greatest institution, and that greatest institution is our families. It starts in our homes. We turned our living room into a praise room. We turned our house into a church, and we said, no, no enemy. We will not hold off any longer. Seven months in, eight months in, nine months in, I see some something different inside of me happening every single day. And that does not happen without the conflict. That does not happen without the trial. What I noticed was late at night, I was happy because I realized this is my time with the Lord. So I go into the living room and I'm praising the Lord and I'm walking around the blocks and I'm, and I'm declaring this place. I'm declaring Maputo Mozambique that this place belongs to the Lord. And then finally, after the pruning, after the pruning of the pride, after the, the pruning of, be, of, of milk, after the pruning of being a baby Christian, finally, we get the results. My friend Celsu, and there's his sister. I have a photo of her. Um, it'll come up. His sister is laid out in the hospital bed. And my friend Celsu said, Arhenis, I need you to come to the hospital and pray for my younger sister. And basically, his younger sister had a brain aneurysm. And a brain aneurysm is when a, a blood vessel from your brain, from your mind, bursts and your brain is absorbing blood. You get a lot of pressure. Even in the United States, it's very dangerous. Very, you, you have to find like the best techniques and the be best medical surgeon to kind of like take care of that. But in Mozambique, they said, this is outside of our realm. We cannot do anything about it. It's all in the hands of God. We have to let nature run its course. And my friend said, Arhenis, I need you to come to the hospital and pray over my sister. So I, 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 I get dressed and... I go to the hospital, I call the missionary community because we're not just alone. And the whole missionary community, there was about five families that came to the hospital and we were ready to pray over this girl. We're ready to declare it healed by the blood of the lamb. But there was a problem, it was during the COVID time and they said none of you guys could come into the hospital, only a family. But they only allowed one person, that one person they pointed to me, me? I said, at that moment, I said, Lord, what are you doing? I, I don't feel qualified for this. I, 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 don't, I don't know. So I went inside, and I looked inside the hospital, and this is that part inside of me that I was very ignorant in, in Mozambique. See, there was a lot of pruning that the Lord was doing. The hospital was in such bad condition 
that there was not even paint on the walls, that the, uh, the light fixtures, they were kind of, they didn't have light fixtures like this. It was just like light bulbs ha- hanging down. Everything seemed like dusty and grim. And I told my wife long ago, I said, babe, if I were to get shot in the street, do not bring me to the hospital. Just let me die in that street because I don't want to see myself go. That's how ignorant I was going into that hospital. I was very ignorant as a person coming from the United States thinking that one way of life is better than another way of life. And what the, what the Lord Jesus Christ had told me, that it does not matter where you are. He reminded me of the story of Leah. I was the one that permitted her to be birthed. I am the one who permitted her to have that child. I am under your, uh, I, I, you are under my control. So I go into the room and I see her at the bedside. And with my very bad Portuguese, I look to the father And the father is looking at his daughter. And there's nothing a father could do. Everything a father is there for is to protect their child. And she's slipping away. Her eyes are unresponsive. They're wide open. And her eyeballs are moving left to right very rapidly. And she's laboring and breathing. It's almost as if she, she could not breathe on her own. She's just gasping for the last bit of her air. And I say to the dad with the only Portuguese that I know, be strong, be strong. And I go to my friend at the foot side of her bed. I look to my friend Celso and I said, I want you to be the anchor in this family. I want you to be the solid rock because you have the truth of Jesus Christ. Because this per- my friend Celso, he was a mature believer. But he asked for my help and I look to his sister and I look at the bedside. I look, I'm at her feet. And I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to say? What is it that you want me to do at this point in time? And the one thing that the Lord said to me, Arhenis, I want you to put your hands on her feet. And I want you to pray in Jesus' name, you are healed. You know, I thought I would hear a trumpet sound. I thought there would be fire. I thought there would be wind. It was a whisper. It was a whisper. And I put my hands on her feet, and I prayed, in Jesus' name, you are healed. And I left the hospital. They asked for a report. I said, there's no way that this girl is going to live after this. I was preparing my friend to be strong because I kind of uh, uh, encouraged him to realize that you are defeated. In my mind, I did not see another way out of this. But the next morning, my friend called me, and he said, I want to say thank you for praying for my sister, that prayer that you prayed, she is now healed. Two days later, she's up, she's eating. Three days later, she's walking, she's going to the bathroom on her own. One month later, I have a photo of her. She's going back to college. Now, the funny part here is this, is that, you know, my, my friend said, I called my friend. He said, thank you. And, and his response was very interesting. He said, I knew my God could do this. And in my mind, I said, I cannot believe the Lord has did this. I said, Lord, you healed this girl. This girl, I do not even know. Someone that's insignificant to me. There's people who died in my life. I was a beginning Christian. I prayed over that person. That person still passed away. 
Many people, my spiritual father, he passed. He's done so much good, Lord. He didn't even last to the age of 70. Lord, why, why, do you, why did you choose her and not the people that I prayed for? And the Lord reminded me at that very moment. He said, Arhenis, I want you to say, I want you to realize this, that when it comes to delivery, when it comes to miracle, I do this myself. I do not need your help, Arhenis. And I want you to go back to the United States and I want you to declare this, that the blind will continue to see, that the lame will continue to walk, that the dumb will continue to hear. And if this message here today has challenged you, you may be feeling like, oh, I'm in a dark place. You may be feeling that the Lord is very, very far away from you, that you may feel like that the Lord is not moving in your environment. And my challenge to you guys here today, it is that if you stick it through, if it is part of the process, if you go through the conflict, people generations later may remember it from it. You may be going through the fire, but it's turning you into a stronger person. The Lord wants to prune you, not because he wants to cut you down, but he wants you to be a more beautiful tree that bears fruit for generations to eat from it. So church, if you feel like you're in a dry season, I know I went a little bit over time. If this message is for you, I want to do a special prayer. I want to do a special deposit over you with every eyes closed, with every head bowed down. If you feel like this message is for you as an act of faith, as an act of challenge, I want you to raise your hand up now, and I'm going to pray for you at this. Amen. And you stand. Amen. 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 Oh, man, God is going to do wonderful things. The Lord is going to be with you. The Lord is going to be your victor. He's going to allow his glory to be demonstrated in your life. Oh, man, I feel like there's such a great response. And if it's okay with, with you all, if it, and in this time of worship, if you'd like to come down as the second part of this faith, as the ex- second part of this challenge, if you feel, uh, if you want to be activated, if you want to be used, come up to the front right now. We want to pray for you. We want to deliver you. We want for God for you to be used, for you to be used in mighty, mighty ways that the Lord is continued to calling his people, that the mission that you're mission is not just for other people to do it that your mission is in this community that there's people here who are broken there's people here that are hungry for the word of God and you don't care how embarrassing it is you guys are mighty mighty warriors I don't care how unqualified I don't care how sinful your past is that the Lord will continue to do great and mighty things David used people who, who are left out. David used men who, who, who were dogs to the nation of Israel, and they were there, and David killed giants, but also his men were able to kill giants. Jesus said this, that great things you see through my ministry, but greater things for people who have not even seen me. This is a message for today. 
Thank you, Lord. We praise you for everything. Thank you for being well-received. We bless you, my Lord, Father. We glorify you and we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.